Hello. Welcome to Electrocast. Episode 6. Crazy Pete. With Peter Wooten from Pico Technology. Released May 2021. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Electrocast. Today we've got Peter Wooten joining us. He's a senior hardware engineer from Pico Technology. Hi Peter, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. First podcast, I'm quite excited, James. <laughs> so, what is PicoTech and what sort of products does PicoTech make? What do you work on usually? Yeah, so uh, our primary business is uh, actually there's loads of three letter acronyms. So, DSO, Digital Storage Oscilloscopes, or PCO, PC Oscilloscope. Um, so, all of our range is PC connected instrumentation um, of some nature. So, as I've said, our kind of primary business is oscilloscopes um, and as part of that, we'll, we'll work in the test and measurement sector, but also in automotive. So we have quite a lot of um, scope offerings for automotive as well as a bunch of accessories and things. Um, but then we've got some other things. So um, high resolution data loggers um, and uh, even much faster RS stuff. So um, we've got an awesome PC connected VNA and uh, sorry, that's a vector network analyzer um, and even like some crazy things like sampling scopes, which are pure magic um they're total magic we can talk about something so later if you like uh, yeah they, they are mind-boggling really cool um no that's sounds good sounds good it's um predominantly test stuff though right yeah i mean most of the i know your listeners can't see me but kind of most of the stuff that we've got is kind of that kind of sized box uh, i don't know how you describe that to your listeners i mean they're probably probably familiar with multimeters so maybe i don't know two or three multimeters worth yeah, and, and really, that yeah. is, is a is a four channel scope often with some digital inputs um so yeah and if they think back to kind of their lab experience or whatever else or even their office setups oscilloscopes tend to be these kind of ginormous things like the size of a desktop pc on your desk and um, yeah. And, and yeah we we kind of shun that uh most of actually what's in your box is a display and a little bit of an operating system probably hmm. um so everybody's got a pc on the desk so we just use that instead um, which is great because it gives loads of enhancements. So first off, it's much smaller, so it means you can carry it places, and that's great. Um, it upgrades much easier. So I mean, you, I mean, you pointed at it and says, "Go from the desk." Can't quite see it, but but I imagine you've never had a. Oh yes, okay. Is that the one hundred and fifty-four Z? Thirty fourteen. Ah yes. So, um, but but I imagine you've never had a firmware upgrade for that. Nope. So it's the same as when it left the factory. Um, and most of our devices, like, uh, so this device, in fact, so this this is actually, um, I think it's seven years old. So we've been selling this for seven years, one of our base models. And yeah, I think a few weeks ago, there was an extra serial decoder added to our software. Mm-hmm. Download the new software, and off you go. So yeah, it's, it's wicked. And we can even upgrade the hardware um, while we're doing that. So there's configurable components inside. FPGA can... kind of style things. Absolutely, yeah. So, so most of most of our devices will contain an FPGA of some length, or several. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to have in there. I was going to ask you whether they had that anyway, just because if it's yeah. so reconfigurable, and that seems like a good step. I always think yeah, phones FP- should have it. <laughs> yeah, I mean FPGAs are incredible, and, and in fact, there's um, there's a lot more processor companies now starting to use little pieces of FPGA logic to do more advanced stuff. So. Few years ago, Intel bought. Uh, can't remember the names. They make the Cyclones, uh, which is an FPGA company, um, so that they can integrate those onto some of their server platforms. So if they've got a server that's constantly doing, I don't know, floating point operations or financial mm-hmm. operations, 
you program that bit of circuitry to do that thing and now you've got an instruction so that's that's much faster uh, and also there's a merger i think between xilinx and amd at the moment so the same is true um and those things are starting to come out so yeah actually is it the pi pico um i think to do with pico technology as it goes um apart from shared name um but uh, but, but uh, one of their io um blocks is essentially a very very small piece of configurable logic um which is really exciting because then you don't take processor time well, that's true you but can yeah, specialize it yeah absolutely and yeah really exciting things to be able to um create modules that don't cost you processing time then you can get on with more useful things um for that or, or in most embedded systems particularly if you're trying to save power turn off completely so that i mean the, the most awesome embedded systems that i've seen wake up for fractions of a second do something hand it off to some physical hardware and then turn off again um and they're the kind of best things for yeah i mean if you think when you're interacting with your pc if your virus scanner's running then it's rubbish and yeah. it's not and it's not so the more your thing can sleep the better it is ironically at being ready when you want it to be ready so i suppose that's yeah. what it comes down isn't it it's more of user experience than it is its capability because everything's more or less got the same capability since you've got a phone that can run crazy things on it it's just distribution of resources yeah absolutely and, and where the right thing to do is i think to be fair everything is about a balance everything in engineering is about that balance what's the benefit of doing this way before benefit of doing it this way uh, and if you throw a, I don't know, on on some of our base model scopes, you can buy them for less than 100 quid. Um, and I don't know if you haven't built PCs and things, but you'd be hard pushed to buy a decent top end processor for 100 quid. So, yeah, uh, yeah, so not appropriate to put that in. Um, but some things it is. Some things it's, it's yeah, it's a trade. It's a trade. So you're a senior hardware engineer. So there's two things that I'd like to just quickly jump on. A, what is a senior hardware engineer rather than a normal hardware engineer? And B, what's a hardware engineer? And is it working with um, configurable logic or is it working with amplifiers or what sort of direction is that? Uh, yeah, so um, there are some very specialist engineers and specialist hardware engineers. So we've got some engineers in Pico that perhaps would only ever look at analog. Mm -hmm. um, so they'd only look at things like attenuators or op amps or um offset drifts or whatever else um and there are people that only specialize on doing for example vhdl code i think you mentioned um yep. so yeah i was working with an engineer this morning but all he ever does is vhdl that is his specialism and that's all he'll ever get involved in i'm uh, a little bit more spread than that i like getting involved in lots of different things so although i'm not the best analog engineer in the world i really can hold my own in the conversation and and, and get those things done i like systems so to me there's no point having an FPGA that's got the most fantastic code in the world unless it's got the right power supplies and that it can start up and that it's reliable and whatever else. So, yeah, that's um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a kind of heuristic thing. Um, and that's perhaps where some of the senior comes in. So um, in in Pico, uh, one of the things that we've got to assess the skills that we have and where we should sit mm -hmm. um, is something, something called a, a a skills matrix so it's a it's a discussion point that we can have with our manager so we have regular one-to-ones and um, so i think i have mine every two months with my manager and it's okay. a real opportunity to go through your career and where you want to progress and what you want to do and what you like doing and to some extent if you can get on to what you like doing mm -hmm. you're likely to do better at it um and it just happens that i like 
knowing a lot about different things. I mean, we talked about 3D printers a little bit ago. Um, at some stage, I was the Pico mechanical design engineer. Um, we didn't have one. And I was like, no, no way. We should be doing this. We can make things smaller. Um, so I did. Uh, I made I made our one of our scopes half the size. Uh, and the only way I could do that was by kind of grabbing somebody in the management team and saying, look, look, this is the last case we made. This is how much it cost us. This is how much I need to demonstrate that we can do it in a different way. Mm. Uh, and they were like, go on then, go for it. Uh, and that could have fallen flat on the face. And luckily, um, it was uh, it, it worked very well. So and, and now we actually employ a full time mechanical engineer that's much better than me at mechanical engineering. <laughs> um, but yeah, really helpful to kind of push those things. And of course, then there's a 3D printer in the office that I can, you can play with every now and again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's an interesting yeah, one. So, like, if you went to the management. I haven't seen that. And how did you use like your own time to design a box that was smaller and discover how to do all that, and then come to them and then let you work on it? Or is it something that you did before that, but in work? Or is it something that you got permission to do and did that? Uh, so, at Pico, we have um, something called Blue Sky Time. Uh, so nominally, it's Wednesday afternoon, but people can kind of move it around a little bit but essentially it's half a day a week equivalent um mm. and that is time to grow your skills or to do the things that you think are important or that or that or that you want to collaborate with people on um and i've used that blue sky time throughout my career at pico so i've been there 12 years this year actually so i'm sounding a little bit old now um but uh, but yeah i mean ever since my my first couple of weeks it was like use this time and use it effectively and and i've used that to do all kinds of things so blue sky was the natural time for me to challenge that and say because we bought um yeah we we bought a design from somebody else they designed it custom for us uh and it was it was an appreciably large amount of money i mean you could buy a house for it so and i was like hold on it's a box with the corners knocked off it can't be that hard um now I'll tell you for free, having come out the other end, it is that hard, but <laughs> it's worth doing. Um, and, and for Pico, that's been a really helpful innovation and, and something that's moved us forward. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a little bit of money where your mouth is. It's um, I had to put in the effort to get the reciprocated effort. So it, it would have been pointless me kind of standing in front of management and saying, oh, yeah, I, by the way, I just want £5,000 for a bit of software that we might do something with. It was really a... This is what I can do. This is where we can go. And, and I've been very lucky. And Pico is a really helpful place or has been a helpful place for me and others to develop. And that's, I mean, that was an interest of mine. Uh, there's other people that have done all kinds of, kind of wacky stuff and learning how to do new things, enhancing things that they're working on. So quite often we'll get a project and there's a focus, make this scope, make it do this thing, have this voltage range, whatever else. Standard. Um, and you'll, you'll see things and you'll go, hold on, if I just did this tweet, it'll get better. And that's a really helpful time to go, you know what, if I know best, let me do it. So make that higher voltage range, make that faster bandwidth, put the extra 20 pence into the product to hmm. get the better thing. And then that's something that you can go back to the product manager and say, look, I know you asked for this. I can give you this, but the compromise is you're going to have to spend a little bit more or wait a little bit longer or whatever it is. And quite often the answer is, oh, actually, that's really cool. So, yeah, it's really helpful to get that kind of feedback loop. And, yeah, lots of people talk about um, agile or feedback loops or trying to trying to get things in. And it's true. And you have to talk about things openly. And 
it can be quite difficult, particularly as an engineer that wants to, uh, and this comes from, happens with all engineers, yeah. um, although it's lovely to get really deep into something, really understand something and go, often there is a commercial pressure. Um, so if you can, I mean, on, on scope, right, faster is always better. Um, but if I can get 200 meg or 206 meg, uh, but 206 meg is going to take me 10 weeks longer, is it really worth it? And it's really hard as an engineer to hear, no, actually, this isn't the right thing at the moment. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's an always at the moment. And, and building up these ideas um, is great. There's a huge amount of things that people have done that, that at some point go, aha, we now want to solve a problem. Um, we've got that or somebody's done some work on that previously. So yeah, loads of the kind of blue sky toys that I've made, and I'm going to call them toys. I mean, genuinely, things that I've just fiddled with because I've been interested in mm, um, been uh, have, have become something. In your smartphone, right, you will almost certainly have an accelerometer, a three-axis accelerometer. Mm -hmm. uh, Ten years ago, they were almost not a thing. Um, so I started playing with MEMS accelerometers way back in my computer career, and uh, I showed it to somebody. I said, oh, wow, look at this. This is so cool. And they went, oh, that's interesting. That overlaps with something that we sell in. Uh, it was our automotive market, actually. And he said, oh, but they're really delicate, aren't they? I said, you what? He said, yeah, if you drop it, it'll break. Rubbish. Smashing it, on, <laughs> smashing it on the desk in front of him. I mean, genuinely smashing it on the desk. I'm like, they're not delicate at all. And we looked into it together. And actually, they were measuring vibration acceleration with a with a piezo disc. So this is a this is a valid way of measuring vibration and, hmm. and signals as you get a piezo disc, the weight on it, um, give it a shake and hold it on the outside and you generate a voltage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a suspended disc, right? theoretically. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But um, if you're throwing it around a, a workshop or whatever, you can shatter that crystal disc, and then it's totally useless. And MEMS doesn't really suffer with that. You can quite happily hit a MEMS thing with a hammer, uh, and you're very unlikely to do damage because of the way they're made. So, yeah, and the some of the penalties, bandwidth, um, is a pain. But actually, when you look at the benefits compared to the deficits, it's like, hold on, this is the right thing to do. It's just um, and yeah, that's, yeah, and that's now our standard automotive offering. So that's and that's genuinely like, a, oh, I'm going to play with this and talk to people about it. And that, that's it is getting that message out and saying, look at this. This is cool. I don't know what it's cool for, but it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, Blue Sky has been incredible and it continues to be incredible. I see amazing things that other people do from all over the business, actually. Uh, so I'm very fortunate to have that in Pico and it's it can happen in other engineering companies but is it something that yeah. is common in other engineering companies like i've heard of one other company in earlier an episode i think it was viper innovation and they say they have something similar i've seen it it's certainly not an industry standard so yeah but it's worth keeping an eye out and even asking for right if you're an interested and enthusiastic person and most engineers are right mm -hmm. most of us have got our thing that we really love or that we enjoy um and if there's no way of pushing that forward in your career then you might struggle to really engage in that um so yeah it's, it's yeah it's, un it's unusual that they don't push that sort of thing in education like you don't have half an hour every friday in uni or anything to do whatever you want they say you can do what you want in your own time but it's not pushed i think it's sh i think it should be a more common thing but... yeah it's it's uh, it's certainly helped me out and i see that i see the incredible things from other people generally you'll have um, business analysts and product managers and all kinds of 
uh, crazy people that are looking at marketing and what needs to be done and stuff. But mm. rarely are they really getting in depth in the details. And if they say to you, I need something that does something at X speed, and you put down a chip because it's the right balance or whatever, and that chip can do two times faster for free, then go back and speak to them. And how are, how are they ever going to know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of circular feedback loop that you need to get in. And sometimes the, and, and damningly, sometimes the answer is, you know what, it's not worth it. Or there is a specific application that needs a specific, uh, thing. so, I mean, board rates, right? You'd never think of creating something that uses RS-232 that has a board rate of 10,000. It would just be silly. You, you make it with 9,600. Oh yeah. Just yeah. What you do. Otherwise it's not going to be compatible with anything. So yeah. 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 Is it worth having the, I don't know. 6% extra transfer speed? No way. Because <laughs> it just won't work. So what's what's the team like that you work with? Is it is it a big team? Are you in charge of other people? Because as a senior hardware engineer, are you involved in management there of other engineers? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, you say the team I work with, so if I kind of explain Pico, uh, there's kind of four or five people offices worldwide, so there's maybe 160, 170 of us. Um, there's about 120 in the UK uh, in St. Neers, we've actually got a small team in Manchester as well. I'd regard all of them as the team, yeah. uh, but I don't necessarily work with all of them every day. Um, hopefully, okay. I've spoken to every single one of them as they've joined, and certainly we've got a really great kind of family culture at Pico. We've got all kinds of, um, so we've got a sports and social committee. I'm not really sure why it's called sports, but whatever. Social committee. Um, and they've got, well, they, they, they've got a budget that um, they lay on events. So, I mean, COVID's been a bit weird, although we've still done events through COVID, right? So a couple of months ago, they organised a cocktail-making evening, uh, and you could sign up, and anybody that signed up got a cocktail-making kit in the post, and then we had a Zoom on Friday, and we all made... Actually, it was Thursday, which was a terrible day, because <laughs> we all made lots of cocktails, and Friday was some interesting meetings. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, and, and, yeah, we do all kinds of things throughout the year, so... I went. Oh, what's the thing where you get pulled along, like skiing? Oh, um, skiing! It wasn't water skiing. It's like a single board, uh, wakeboarding. Right? Wakeboarding. I, I'm terrible. I now know that I am terrible at wakeboarding, and I'd have never done it unless they they didn't say, you know what, let's all go wakeboarding. So yeah, this this committee organised like five or six events um, a year, and we go and do things. So yeah, there's all kinds of crazy stuff to get involved with. It's largely um, engineers that go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that's the thing. It's open to anybody in the company. So um, it means that we can get together. And, and in having those kind of shared social experiences, you gain trust outside your area of people that you work with every day. Mm. So, um, I, I mean, I really like most of the colleagues that I don't work with very often. Um, but when you can understand their points of view about things or what pressures them, then it can you can really inspire change and things that are better. Mm. So, oh, so w when you're designing PCB, right, you might decide that you need, I don't know, 5K resistor here or 10K resistor here or whatever, or more commonly 4K, 7 and 10K, but it's a different story. But um, when you make something, every single value that you put on the board needs to be bought, stocked, put on a machine, Put on, and with every one of those comes a risk that it's out of stock, or you go somewhere else, or it's been dark and bright, or whatever. So, one of the crucial things to do when you're getting towards manufacturing is to really involve people and work out what pressures are. So, one of the most common things to do is to go through a bomb, and if you've got 
a bunch of 4K7s that don't matter if they're 5K, and you've got 10Ks on the board to put down an array of resistors and use combinations. Or to look through your design and really go, does that need to be that value? Does that need to be that value? Mm. And the more bomb lines you can reduce, the number of different parts, the easier it is to build a board. Now, I wouldn't have even thought about that unless I was standing uh, with somebody in a in a wetsuit one day going, all oh, right, oh, what's wrong with this resistor that we haven't managed by it? Oh, it's out. oh it would be easier if you had less. All oh, right. And, and you just you just learn stuff all the time. Um, by, by So, yeah, although we call them social events, quite often we'll get onto work and you'll hear people's pressures on what, on what they do. So, yeah, getting outside your kind of core team, your area of expertise um, is really crucial. It's really helpful. It's really helpful to have a company like that. Uh, sorry, that wasn't the, the question, right? You were asking, what's my team like? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'll, let's go for the inner team, right? The okay. Team. So there's about 20, 25 harbour engineers. I'm going to call them harbour engineers. So that's people that understand schematic design, electronics, uh, PCB design, yeah, HGL, those kind of things. And, yeah, there's a varied bunch. Um, and I think you know there's a lot of engineers that are quite introverted. Um, but that's not to say that they don't have some incredible skills or mm. some really great ideas. And one, one thing that's quite difficult to do in engineering is to listen to people that aren't loud. Um, yeah. It's really hard to, to kind of get those opinions in. Um, but in the team that I'm in, it's really cool. And part of this kind of culture of we have got this time to experiment or do this blue sky things or to challenge things is actually being able to listen to those people, being able to challenge them okay. So, yeah. Makes well, everyone on a level playing field then. Yeah, it, it does. And, and everything is better together, regardless of what anybody says. And mm -hmm. you can be very proud of something you've worked on. Um, but I guarantee it will be better if you work with somebody else about it. And if you don't mind being challenged about it. So if I've designed something and it's really the best I can do, it should be able to stand scrutiny. And if somebody comes to it and they say, I don't really agree with those resistor values, it shouldn't be a, well, it's the best I can do, go away. It, it should be a, really? Why do you think they could be better? Talk about compromises. Um, and it's, I mean, schematics are fantastic bits of documentation, incredible bits of documentation. Um, but often they don't have the, why have you chosen to make that big or small? Or There's no reasoning. Yeah, off, often, and, and some of the most helpful things on schematics are links to data sheet or a, a note that says, I blew this up, watch the power, or something like that. Because it's, it's hard to see, right? Every resistor on a schematic looks like this same little blob. Um, but if you've got quarter of a watt going through a resistor and your standard size is 0402, pop. Uh, so, so yep. yeah, so sometimes you... And it's hard to see if you look at a design from a way away, um, particularly when you first look at them difficult to look at those so yeah you'll find all kinds of kind of in-house rules and habits and how people do things uh to kind of get around some of those problems so what yeah one of my um one of my colleagues highlights things in red that they're not sure about and the reason they do it is so that when somebody looks at their schematic they know where to focus on that they're not sure about and it's a really helpful thing is is kind of being able to do that and communication is really tricky that's not Everything a standard thing, do. then, no. Um, I've not seen it done anywhere else. Uh, and, right. and, and I look at all kinds of schematics from all kinds of places. Yeah, so, I mean, schematics are an incredible tool, incredible communication tool. Absolutely. Um, but there's so much more information to be had. Um, 
and and yeah it's 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 really difficult to get get information across and and what's important people can often get hung up in the details what it looks like what the color is or whatever else yeah um but but sometimes it's like what's your top three if it matters about the price focus on the price if it matters about the power focus on the power if it matters about the tolerance do that you know and sometimes people get really bogged down and actually look at any part look at any system and say what's the what's the thing i mean you'll come up you may have come across um moscow for example or spot analysis there's, there's loads of different systems for doing it but essentially all of them boil down to the same thing what do you want to get is this doing that thing what do you do to make it better that's yeah. it that's, that's kind of the crux of all things and yeah no matter how complicated something gets normally you can look at it at a kind of heuristic level a kind of upper level and say what's important about this have i met the important goal great if i've met the important goal should i just move on yeah uh, yeah, yeah, down. yeah but it can be hard because you want to have the perfect solution you want to get it exactly yes. yeah yeah spot on i mean yeah i mean you build switching modules and stuff and and you yeah you'll always come across like uh r1 plus one over or one plus r1 over r2 i mean this is a kind of pretty standard thing that you're seeing control systems everywhere mm-hmm. um, and a feedback voltage and people making like low voltage power supplies for fpjs and stuff right 1.2 volts uh they'll put a resistor divider down and it'll be 1.201 volts and they'll go oh my god it's a, it's it's a little bit off it's it's a millivolt off and it's like wow, it's a three percent switcher who cares um yep. so yeah it's um yeah it's it can be quite quite tricky to do though but yeah schematics are incredible and, and the more you work with a team the more you trust them and learn how they work and, and how other people work so if we put you in an imaginary company here then and you were in charge of making sure everyone got in like was going, making sure the communication was right Mm-hmm. What would be your ideal way of, you know, getting everyone talking together? Would you have like every piece of documentation has to have a second piece of documentation, or would it be every day everyone has to sit down and have a meeting and talk through everything every day? Or I mean, they're two extremes. We're not saying they're a good idea. Yeah, but... it's it's a good question. I mean, in general, telling people what to do is not very effective. If you can ask somebody what they want to achieve out of something, mm-hmm. and they have an overlapping uh, overlapping objective with you, then you're more likely to be able to build on that. So if, so if we listed out uh, three points, right, our three most important points, mm-hmm. and two of them overlapped and one of them didn't, we should probably agree to work on one of those two points. And then yeah. we're more likely to succeed. And the same is true in bigger groups as well. I mean, get a, get a group together and it's hard for people to have voices and to, and to be heard. And anonymity affords... I mean, yeah, I mean, the internet and stuff. Anonymity lets people kind of speak out and sometimes be a bit rude, and that's not cool. But anonymity does give people to put down things honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they feel that they can do that. And it, it's lovely when people are open without needing that anonymity. But particularly if you have larger groups, um, throwing thoughts down. I mean, genuinely, standing in a room with a bunch of post-it notes or using an online document or whatever and just saying... What do we think is wrong with this or what's your problem with this stick your ideas up there collate them vote on them um see see what you do so in fact i went through an exercise recently um where we put a bunch of problems in our team um and we voted on which one we're going to do so we did a couple of rounds of dot voting which is basically everybody gets a vote you kind of 
mark the we post it on a, an online thing. Um, <laughs> mark your thing. We gradually get down to two. Vote on them, and now we've got what is important to us as a population. Um, and that's kind of a, a shared objective. And realistically, you can only work on one thing at a time. Um, yeah. And and if you form those rules, so I mean, like you were saying, what if you say to somebody, uh, all schematics should contain this? Um, well, if a manager says you must contain this on all your schematics, mm -hmm. there might be quite a lot of well, why should I do that? Why should I do that? If the manager says you must put these on because there is this reason for it, a safety regulation or this is required or whatever else, then maybe that's easier to do. But you can guarantee it's much better if, if that manager says, um, guys, what do you think? this or here's some feedback from externally. How mm -hmm. do we think we can fix this for them? Here we go. So yeah, and so yeah, collaborative answers to problems, uh, I'd say, right, and that's perhaps a slightly different answer than you were expecting, right? Because what I wouldn't do is to pop into a different company as a manager and say, change this. Um, change is really hard, right? People, change is good, but people hate change. And yeah. it's, it's a real, real pain, right? Um, but change is good. If something doesn't work or you're frustrated with something or you don't like something, then change is the only positive way around it. Um, yeah, why would you sit and stick it out and have everything go wrong all the time? It's just... Yeah, and... and and there's there's always a compromise. So, yeah, you you can't lose weight unless you're going to exercise. There's so if you have that goal, then you have to take some responsibility or or some negative attribute for you. But mm. hopefully the end goal is better off for you. Um, so if somebody says to you, "Oh, my documentation is not good enough. It's not verbose enough," uh, you say to them, "Great. What do you want to get out of my documentation?" Ah, so actually this title or or thing that I've written, you don't really need. Well, I'll get rid of that, and then I'll write the documentation that you want. Yes, it will take me ten percent longer, but now it's ninety percent more effective. Well, great, you know that's that's win-win. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'd always promote trying to find shared objectives. It means that, uh, I mean, particularly me, I'm very weak-willed, uh, and if two people or three people or, or more have agreed to do something together and you've got to that agreement together, it helps you to keep each other on. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've got a running partner, right, they'll egg you on to go a little bit faster when you're feeling a bit tired and vice versa. Uh, and the same is true of goals. If you all have, or, or if a collection of people have a shared goal that you truly believe in, then then you should be there. And, and also, not to focus on negatives. Lots of people are very negative about things that's wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome questions to ask is what is right? Mm -hmm. What should we continue doing? What should we enhance doing? What's not the biggest problem? What's the biggest benefit? Because you want to make sure that you don't lose those. I mean, one of the things we do with all the hardware designs at Pico, anything that gets manufactured has a review. Mm -hmm. um, so that means a schematic will go off to one or two other engineers to have a look at and find things. You can guarantee there is something wrong with your schematic. There will be uh, uh, an output driving an output or wrong logic voltages or, or something wrong with that. And you need to be open to things that you do are wrong uh, and that, that's a very difficult thing to get on but yeah that might be one of the kind of biggest lessons actually if if, if you think everything you do is wrong but it's just how wrong it is it's hmm. much less much less hard to get het up about things um yeah so yeah um and just because something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong enough to do something about today that's true 
it might only be slightly slightly wrong at which point everything else that's wrong massively outweighs it there you go and you, and you may not even know i mean you may do something and you may not even be able to, able to identify why it's wrong yeah but in three weeks time when you look back at it you might have a good idea or in three years when you look back at it you might go oh why did I do it that way hmm. um and yeah i do that more often than not <laughs> <laughs> same thing yeah. goes for good stuff though you know if you send something off for a review and it comes back and you know someone's like i really liked how you did this particular bit this configuration is really smart i like it it's totally important to have that as well because otherwise yeah. everyone's always like i'm everything i do is wrong blah 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 i feel bad every day hate working yeah i mean one of my nicknames at pico is crazy pete and um i don't like to be constrained by by systematic thinking by by um what we've done before or what seems the obvious thing if you can break it right down back to the kind of bases um and you can promote it or you can find a solution to a problem that's better in some way that meets those primary targets better whether it's cost or speed or um the performance or the accuracy or whatever hmm. um, then why shouldn't you be able to consider those yeah if it's going to take longer and you need to do something quickly then maybe you might want to do that or whatever. but yeah it's so yeah actually we'll talk about crazy pete a bit later you want to talk about my favorite project at some point uh and yeah that's i think that's where somebody coined the phrase crazy pete but actually I see it as a as a almost an accolade. It's like a trophy to me. Uh, <laughs> that's not reassuring. <laughs> oh, so okay. So if we quickly look at um, your career up to this point, so how have you progressed to become a member of people to become a senior hardware engineer as opposed to anything else? So you, did you go through university, or have you gone through an apprenticeship route, or like, and how yeah. how did you start out? Um, so I went through university. Mm -hmm. um not quite as i expected to go to university um so i took out a year uh took out a year between my a levels and my university courses mm -hmm. um and uh i worked actually an electronics distributor um during that time uh and i do i've been interested in electronics for a long time and GCSEs and the kinds of things didn't do anything for my a levels mm -hmm. uh sorry didn't do any electronics for my A-levels. oh right okay so we did do a levels um yeah i did did a levels uh and but then yeah, I, I worked at an electronics distributor and that gave me a lot of time to play with components and play with cheap components. That was kind of a, a, a big thing. I got all kinds of things that were kind of half price or um, samples that I could go, that we couldn't sell so I could use and make things. Um, so yeah, when I went to university a year later, um, actually my interest in things had changed. So I went to study physics and uh, I only lasted a year and then changed across to electronics, which is my natural calling. No. Um, and yeah, there, there was a lot of pressure on me actually. Oh, why do you want to change degree course? Are you sure about this? And it's like, well, yeah, change is good. I now know what I want to what I want to do every day and what I want what I want, what I want out of that. So yeah, that was. I suppose you're quite lucky yeah. there, where you got the experience before you went in. Whereas a lot of people just start doing it, and then third year in physics, they're like, mm, "Don't like physics," or you know, you've had the opportunity yeah. to grow before you've plunked yourself in. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of pressure when I was at school, and I'm sure other young people feel it as well. For what's the next step? What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And, mm. and I was very lucky. I managed to kind of get off that. You know, there was a lot of criticism when I said, "I'm not going to university this year." um and there, i had a lot of kind of people saying well, what what why what what are you trying to do i just need to i just need to chill out I just need to to do something different and i didn't mean chill out I, I 
I worked. I worked full time through that year, but I got a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think everybody would. I was very, I was very lucky. I, I, I'm going to say I pushed myself. Um, I've always been very into my electronics and stuff at home, building my own projects and doing things and learning things. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I knew that I needed to step back from education for a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when when I went back to uni, it was very exciting. And I loved it, and I loved my first year, but physics wasn't for me. Um, yeah. I mean, it was yeah, great fun uh, for the first semester, and then the second semester got very real very quickly. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this forever. Um, and, and yeah, to me, enjoying what I do is very important. The and and I'd say right to to you and all the listeners, if you're doing something for forty hours a week or more. Um, if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be a trudge. It's going to be hard. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would yep. you do that to yourself? So, <laughs> You've got the yeah. option. Yeah, and, and it's difficult. Don't get me wrong. People find it very difficult to find what they love doing and what their profession is and how they how they explore. And there's lots of lots of pressure about salaries and all these kind of things. But I guarantee if you enjoy what you do, then you'll be much happier in the rest of your life. And really... It's an enabler. I'm very lucky. I get up every day and I like what I do. So I fly through a day and I go, well, hey. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not worth selling out for an extra £5,000 if you hate that job compared to a job that you enjoy. Yeah, not a chance. Not a chance. No, absolutely. So did you enjoy the electromagnetics and all that sort of stuff then? Because that's quite heavily physics in the electronic streams. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that really... Um, that caught me really early on in electronics was hmm. um, logic and programmable stuff, embedded systems. Uh, and I mean, most most of you, I mean, you and a, a lot of your might have been using Arduinos and things for um, either uni work or for stuff at home. Um, I was kind of brought up on PIC microcontrollers, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, I did I did loads of stuff like really down to bare bones. But I loved um, it. Seemed magic to me. That you could take something and do something different based on a set of rules yeah that was that was that was magic to me and i loved the getting more than people would expect out of something um so you so i mean i talked earlier about having spare clock cycles so you can go to sleep and wake up do something and go to sleep the opposite is true if you can use every one of those clock cycles and make them count that excites me. That means that you've got everything you can get out of that, and you've probably used the most um, the most kind of cost-effective way of doing that. So I, yeah, I mean during my during uni, I made a um, a VGA driver, so something to drive a monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, before HDMI and, and DisplayPort and stuff, analog signals would use VGA. That's mm-hmm. the kind of sub on the back, um, and they're essentially analog signals. So the red, green, and blue, um, and a vertical sync and horizontal sync. Uh, and somebody said to me, oh, you can never do it in a pit because it's too slow and you won't be able to do enough brain buffering. Uh, and I was like, huh, that sounds like a challenge. If you say it can't be done, it definitely <laughs> needs to be done. Um, and you can do it. You just need to make your V-sync and your A-sync look like it's a real thing and mm-hmm. then fill in the gaps with something. So, um, yeah, I, f- I forget exactly the, the resolutions now, but, um, yeah, essentially I drove what the monitor thought was a 640 by 480 but I was only actually pushing out like 160 by 120 or something. Um, so yeah, just, and that's all the RAM that I had available. I used like all the RAM bar a couple of bytes just by repeating. Uh, so yeah, so it meant for consecutive lines, and in fact consecutive pixels, I was using 
um, the same similar bit. bits. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it it meant every, yeah, absolutely. And every cycle was was perfect. I mean, it took me ages to do it. It was an it was an absolute nightmare. And it was assembly. And not many people think about programming in assembly. It seems, and it is. It's hard. It's really difficult to kind of get your mind in that. But mm. if you want the most out of something, that's you, you need go to get lower. into a, a much more deep understanding. And I, I mean, that's something that that throughout engineering right you can get as deep as you like and you probably still there's more to get people like pcbs right and they'll be going out too loud and then they'll be four eight twelve and you'll think you know everything about pcbs and you'll have worked with exotic laminates and, and high speed stuff and cross weave and all this kind of stuff and then you'll read an article about something in pcb and you just go yep yep that's changed all my mind so yeah like you you go through all the equations Hmm. and use them um, flirtatiously in the industry. Uh, and strip line and microstrip, so controlled impedance tracks on inner and outer layers. Generally, they're faster on outer layers. And you're like, whoa, yeah, exactly right. I did that, and I did this maybe maybe a year ago. I, I, I kind of realized this, and it was a realization. Um, I look into it, and sure enough, it's true. And it's because you've got, um, you've got a conductor, uh, mm -hmm. and you've got, two bits of uh, laminate next to it, then they've got an epsilon R of maybe, I don't know, 4.3-ish maybe for a kind of FR4. And then if you've got something on the top, then you've got four underneath and one on the top. Well, the average around that is uh... two. So you've got a faster transmission line. Generally, that makes no difference. Generally, it makes no difference. But when you start doing things really fast, if you're doing, I don't know, a 10 gigabit Serdes or something, I mean, some really fast serial lines, that is that the can difference. Make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, genuinely, if you've got a big interface, and this is where it came up, right? I was routing a big wide interface, a memory interface, um, and routing on different layers, it's different speeds. It's like, whoa, this is this is crazy stuff. Um, it's just not matching yeah, for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so no matter how deep you go, there's normally a bit deeper. Um, and, and that's very exciting. And to some extent, you'll use bits of engineering that you don't fully understand. And you have to admit you don't understand. Hmm. Um, and hopefully, sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, if you can over-engineer something, if you've got that luxury of over-engineering something, often you can ignore lots of lots of things. Yeah, I mean, something that's troubling me on a on a project. I say troubling me. Something that's becoming an issue on a current product. So, um, is, uh, right. is the amount of current we're drawing down it. Um, and we've got a cable, a couple of meters long, and we're drawing a few amps down it. That's a lot of loss. That's um, well, that's quite a resistance loss across a cable, even a quite sizable cable, right? You've yeah. got a few volts across it. And when you're on a low volt system, that can be quite appreciable. Um, but then there's other parasitics that you wouldn't consider. Inductance, right? You unplug that cable while it's got three amps going through it, a couple of meters of cable, typically you've got enough energy stored in to go up by, I don't know, five, 10, 15 volts on a spike. And that, that can be quite... That like, doesn't that's dev stuff. Devastating. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And how do you get around that? Add some capacitance. Oh, great! But now you've got to do plug-in in Russian stuff, and it's like, oh wow. You kind of get to these limits where it's okay to kind of use what you've used before and use what you've used before, and then suddenly you'll get to a point and you go, oh, now I need to know that architecture doesn't work anymore. Now I need to change that architecture or learn a bit more. Uh, I mean, this this must have come up maybe six months ago or something, uh, and it came up as one of those reviews. Somebody said, oh, have you thought about this? Um, energy stored half li squared. And it's like, oh, yeah, I squared gets very big very quickly. Uh, yeah, okay. 
fair dues. Um, yep, need to think about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At least it came up there, though, you know, like, at least that review addressed it. So then you had some things to think about. You didn't build everything and then destroy a board in front of yourself. Yeah, destroying boards is hopefully rare, but it does happen. Yeah. Um, I've done it, I've, uh, and, and I've, I'm going to say negligently, but you learn from your mistakes, right? And uh, I used to wear a metal banded watch and I dropped a watch on the device and I killed a power supply. <laughs> now, Someone doesn't wear time, watches anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and, I mean, every, there, there's a few jokes in that engineering, right? And ICs genuinely are, I mean, the people that build ICs are incredible. They understand things in a whole different way. Doping mm. is just incredible science. Um, but ICs are built of magic smoke. They're just compressed magic smoke. And sometimes you get the magic smoke out. Uh, and, and if you're really impressive, you get a lot of magic smoke out. So, um, yeah, that's a big key. And it's always got that slightly kind of arsenic-y whiff. Uh, so, yeah, it stinks for ages too. <laughs> yes, yes, you can you can clear a room by blowing up an IC. Hopefully, not too many of them. But yeah, like I say, get and that's it. Getting other people to look at your work and being open to that. Oh, is it a problem? Hmm. Um, and and often it can be a oh, is it a problem? And then you need to go away and think about it. Think about the evaluation um, and things. And sometimes they're not caught. A lot of the things you'll find, particularly from parasitics, um, is your make board and your test board, and you go oh. Why is that doing that? Um, and this is, I mean, part of making oscilloscopes, right, is about uh, making those tools that can help you assess those things. Um, and that's where analog gets really important is if you've got a front end that has huge amounts of overshoot, then users can't trust the waveforms they're getting out the other end. Or yeah. they need to understand more about those those things that they're getting out the other end. So yeah, it's, um, and it can be very difficult difficult explaining those things as well. Everything that you probe, you are affecting, um, particularly if it's very high frequency. I mean, a picofarad on 500 meg is all right, a couple of hundred ohms. A couple of hundred ohms is an appreciable amount of, of loading to a lot of signals. So, No, definitely. Yeah, so, yeah mm. interesting stuff. <laughs> it's, this is where I'm working about, slower. I've made you think about that there, haven't you? I, honestly, oscilloscope probes are magic. They are total, total black magic. And, and yeah, so in fact, you're, uh, you had a, probably a, a couple of probes there. Hmm. Um, you'd think that that's a piece of wire with a very low resistance. Uh, I can almost guarantee it's not. So if it's a times one probe um, of a couple of meters, you'll probably find that there's a couple of hundred ohms of resistance in it. Um, and this is because you're unlikely to match the uh, transmission line that's on your PCB or whatever you're probing. Um, so if it goes back up and you mm -hmm. get to an impedance mismatch you get a reflection and what you don't want happening is that you get a signal into your cable goes up the cable bounces back down bounces back up bounces back down because now if you get to that resonant frequency you have a huge big lump in your frequency response uh, so they're deliberately resistive cables so most of them are like nichrome or a very thin strip of iron inside hmm. so that they've got a few hundred ohms so now your signal goes up bounces back down and hopefully by the time it's got down here the impedance of or the, the, the it's just killed itself yeah signal, hopefully yeah and and i mean even though that's there that can that can trip you up and and i um i discovered this by accident quite early in my career actually because i was looking for something to uh, grab a signal to stimulate mm -hmm. something and i didn't want to go and grab a bnc cable from over there uh, 
well, time's one probe here, so I plug my probe into my output. I thought I was very clever. Put it on my circuit, it didn't do anything, and I measured my circuit. I'm like, that's only a quarter of the voltage I'm expecting. What's going on here? This is, this is insane. I'm like, this oscilloscope's broken. This is rubbish. This must be. And, and then I really started to think about it, and I, I asked one of the analog engineers at the time, one of the senior engineers, um, mm. and he said, yeah, there's DC resistance in that. What? <laughs> no, this. This can't be, and that's it. Things that you look at every day, you don't realise some of the engineering challenges that are in them. Mm. Nothing is quite as simple as it looks. Um, it's only I mean, known through experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and this is why there's companies that have significant experience in things that really do have the answer to things that, that you don't know. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, very, very interesting. So some of the things you pick, and that's the thing. I had no idea when I went in that day to work that I would learn something about probes. I, I just had no idea. Um, and, and yeah, you pick up. If you're not learning something every day, you're not engineering. No, um, you just got to be ready it, for right? it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. So, what jobs did you do before you got to Pico? So you'd gone from enge- uh, university, you'd switched to engineering, and then how'd you progress from there? Uh, so I'm lucky I dropped straight into Pico from university. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, before I went to university, I had that year, um, in that electronics, should I say, uh, mm-hmm. I said, um, and that was, that was an incredible incubator for me. Uh, they gave me a job that was too simple for me and it meant that I could go further and I could get more done. Yeah, um, so actually what they wanted me to do was uh, cross reference. So basically they were getting bombs and materials from engineering companies. Mm. Um, and they wanted to be able to offer those components at Petrolus and prices or whatever. Um, so yeah, I would basically give them things, whole bombs of this material, and ask to create what our part number is for that so that we could look up the price and quote them and stuff. Um, and yeah, I very quickly realized that mostly what was coming in was uh, two or three different competitive part numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I noticed that I saw some things over and over, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I just build a database to do it for me. So, um, so I learned to build a database, uh, and I, I learned to do that, and I learned to read in some of those bombs and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, so essentially, my job became making bombs into a certain format. Normally, they came in an Excel, um, and that you find this. So it would be a manual process to kind of find this column of part numbers and stick it in. Um, but then everything that I cross referenced before. It would populate, and anything that I hadn't done, it would just prompt me to do manually, and then it would store them in the background. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite cool. But because I I had loads of time, I could then kind of play with those. So yeah, so that that was kind of the start of my engineering journey. And they still sell actually a couple of kits that I designed while I was working for them. Um, so they sell some educational kits now uh, that I designed like while I was eighteen. Um, oh which wow, is that's great. pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's it's so cool, and I've got a couple of them still, and they're pretty basic things. And I look at them now, and I could do them so much better. Um, but, <laughs> but that's but, now. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. They're, they're cool. And this is, I don't think there's any project I've ever done. I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things I've done. But mm. I don't think there's ever a point where I where I look at something a year after and think, oh, I wouldn't do that better. Or I wouldn't do that different. Um, but you can never do that. Hindsight's a perfect sign. Sorry, you asked me about my career. Um, so, yeah, so I stepped straight into PICO. Um, and... Uh, I graduated in 2009 when mm. the country was in recession uh, and there were no jobs. 
there, there was nothing in, in what I wanted to do. And I was looking at kind of minimum wage jobs for driving 30 miles up the road. Um, and uh, I couldn't even afford to put the petrol in the car to get to that place, let alone live. Um, mm. And it was like, oh, this, this is like crazy. And, and, um, and I was quite lucky to find Pico. And actually, I'd previously sold Pico products as part of my role at, at that, that electronics distributor. So I knew about them. I knew what they did. And I knew roughly what their specs was or where they were at least a few years earlier. Mm. Um, and yeah, I found them and I, and I applied speculatively. Um, they hadn't got any adverts out there. And I, I was sending my CV out to lots and lots of places. Um, and yeah, they, they came back and, and we had a discussion and actually it was, it was a really good fit for me. And when I, perhaps when I started, I was a bit naive. I knew where I wanted to live in the country and that wasn't it. And I started with an intention of leaving within a couple of years. And yeah, and, and it wasn't a good way to start, right? Because why would you ever go in half, half cock to anything? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not a constructive thing. And, I think very quickly I realized actually I kind of needed to knock that out myself and go, wow, this is the best place for me now. I am getting the most out of it. Yes, it's not where I thought I'd end up living or any of that stuff, but actually I'm getting that experience. And yeah, I mean, it was, and a lot of my friends that graduated with me aren't in the industry. They got very disheartened with not being able to get those jobs. It took a lot of plugging away to find that one. And I was very lucky to drop into it. And I think actually, a lot of the reason that I got the job was because I demonstrated on my CV the qualities that they were looking for. So, I mean, everyone that you're graduating with will all have a graduate degree. Yeah, and that's fantastic. And I'm, I mean, you should be really proud of the achievements that you put in. But if everybody's got something, how do you select between them? How do companies know what they want? And I mean, I've talked about Blue Sky afternoon, but it would be pointless having that time unless I wasn't going to use it. So one of the things that Pico look for, and even still to this day, is what are you doing to further yourself? Because if you're not inspired to build stuff and go out there and do things and to make mistakes and to do your own projects and to play, then that's pretty useless time. And it's not going to be very useful to get ideas out and get things for us. Um, so I think one of the things, um, when I came in, right, I the, the MD, uh, was part of my interview um, at that stage. Hmm. Uh, and he knew, they knew what I was capable of by what I put on my CV before they sat in front of me. Really, my interview was a, have you done the stuff you said you've done? And that was it, right? It, and, and I mean, I'll say that to my manager now and they'll say, no, 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 no. It, was much <laughs> it wasn't. It, I, 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 can't, I can't believe it now that I'm here. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I was, I was very into my projects outside of um, things and, uh, and it wasn't working when I was applying for jobs, it wasn't working. There was a starved market. Um, so I changed it up and I, um, spent, uh, I went over the one page limit of CVs. You should never go over. And I spread onto two pages, but my second page, I dedicated to my things. Um, what, what turns me on, right? What, what my, my stuff was. So my second page I filled with pictures, uh, and with description of things I've done, YouTube links of videos that I had of, um, of things that I'd made. Uh, I made a robotic Rubik's cube solver, um, actually as part of the end of my degree, but really that was because I pushed to do something robotic rather than my degree course wanted me to. So yeah, I, I filled up my, my second page with pictures and description of things that I did, things that I liked doing. 
And really, I think that's what Pico employed was me, not the not the generic. Oh, he's got some A level, he's got a degree and stuff. Yes, that's hmm. a form of training. That's the application of it, and that's what we're we're doing as engineers is we're applying things every day. Um, it's almost no point having a uh, Maxwell's equation in here unless you can use it out here. Um, so yeah, sorry, I realise I'm doing gesticulations to you, and your listeners can't see any of this. No, that's a point. Um, uh, but. But there we are. I mean, no, but that's it, isn't it? It's it's important to get you across, even in general. So, have have you been involved in any interviews in PicoTech? So, I mean, part of my um, role as a senior engineer, as well as to challenge and guide products, and I mean, I'm I'm leading projects with six or seven engineers at the moment. I say six or seven. We pull in expertise from other areas of the business, so that's why it's not necessarily fixed. Um, but. The, yeah, part of that is being involved in interviews and being and employing that team and growing that team. Hmm. Um, and that's an interesting uh, part of, of my job because I see people in the position that I've been in, um, which is in interviews. And I, I'm very lucky I can talk openly and fluently. And, and you well know, right, a lot of the a lot of the guys with our kind of interests are introverted. And it can be quite hard to get discussions going and to make people be relaxed. And it's okay. Interviews are scary things. Well, they're designed they, they, to be, aren't they, really? Yeah, there's there's loads of pressure. And if I mean if I if I if I'm going to an interview as an interviewee rather than an interviewer, mm. if the company doesn't try and make me feel welcome and try and try and put that effort into making me feel more relaxed, then I don't think I'd want to work for them. And I hope part of what I do during the interview process at Pico is to try and help people to 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 be, be themselves. And yeah, and to talk about the things that they're happy with. Particularly when we're talking to um, less experienced engineers or graduates, um, what's the point in me asking you about something that's very specific to my industry? Of course I'm gonna know more than you, of course you're gonna struggle with it. But if you've got something that you're excited about, and you can show me and you can draw a schematic or whatever, I can talk about that with you. Um, yeah. So a lot of the interviews that we do uh, at Pico for, for Harbour engineers um, are, well, you tell us about something you've done that you want to talk about, and we'll talk about that with them because we can assess whether you, and we can ask you, right? I mean, the whole point of an interview is to get in, information across. If you've built a robot and it, it goes along, it follows a line or whatever it does, right? Um, if you've taken a bit off the shelf, Sometimes you've taken something off the shelf. There's no shame in it. Yeah. Um, it's 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 absolutely fine. And it, it's quite odd actually seeing some people. They, it's almost like uh, when you start to analyse projects, it's almost embarrassed they reuse stuff. Reusing stuff is great. If you can grab something off the shelf, you can save loads of time. And depending on what you're designing, uh, and I imagine a lot of your listeners are going to try and go into design engineering. Mm. Um, when you're designing something, you will design it differently based on how many you're going to sell. If you're going to sell one of something, you'll almost certainly try and save time in design. Mm -hmm. If you're designing something that's going to sell 100,000 a month or a million a month or whatever, huge quantity things, now you're going to spend a lot more time on value engineering. So you're going to, uh, I've, I've never been involved in it. I've never been involved in such high quantity, but one of the production engineers I worked with was, um, focused at one stage on taking a bill of materials and a placement diagram and mm -hmm. 
with pick and place machines, you have kind of a head that goes over and picks up a component and goes to some coordinates and wants to put, put it down. And he was involved in programming one of these machines on a very, very high volume board to make it more complex. And the default thing that the machine did was to place the, so 100 nan caps, I think it was, they placed them in ascending order of the reference. So C373 was placed before C574 and Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so he worked out that you could decrease the path lengths quite significantly by placing. Uh, they had, I think, they had two moving heads um, on this machine. So by dividing it in the middle of the board physically rather than logically by number, you could decrease the time. That was moving around. Yeah. And now you've saved money. And then the second one he, he realised was um, on this particular machine. I think it's quite common actually in. Um, in placement is you'll pick a component in a certain orientation and that's zero degrees generally um, and then you'll turn it and things like 90 degree flips would be very fast but if you've got a bipolar component um sorry a non-polar component um so it can go either way around 100 nan ceramic crap i mean they're, they're kind of the most common thing in the world aren't they mm. um if it's naught or 180 but it takes time to get to 180 Take all the 180s out, make them all zero. Um, and you can do that as part of the design step or as part of a post-processing step. Um, so yeah, he was saving appreciable amounts of money that's doing that. The designs I work on, it wouldn't make a difference. It would take so much extra time in the design to flip those around that we would spend more in the design than we'd save at the manufacturer time. Um, so it's all about trying to work out those balances and compromises. And those balances and compromises are not always clear. In mm. fact, I'd say rarely are they totally cut and mustard. It's very difficult. And if as a design engineer you're told how to do something, then you're not a design engineer anymore. There's no point to you being there. Um, if you're told this is a constraint to something you're doing, you must use, I don't know, this processor and there's a reason behind it. You must use it because uh, we've got a particular deal with the manufacturer that you need to promote this or we get it free or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Um, you then, figure out the rest. Yeah, and you, you can figure out. Um, so yeah, it's um, bizarrely, it can be quite liberating to have a very intense specification that says you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. Um, and it can also be opposite way round, and I prefer the opposite way round, which is this is what we want to achieve, go away and do it. Um, and then continue that, that cycle throughout of do you want this or do you want this? This is the benefit, this is the opposite. Yeah, so like a review every now and then and make the choices yeah. as opposed to the design choices. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it doesn't work for everybody. It can be quite hard sometimes to find the way that you work the best. And it, mm. it's quite often that people will kind of criticise other people. Oh, it's not my job. Oh, it's somebody else's job to do this. It's somebody else's. And, and it can be quite hard to sometimes sit back and go, hold on. If I've got a problem with the way somebody else is doing something or with something that's going on or something that affects me, mm. maybe the best thing I can do about it is to try and do something about it. Um, yeah, rather than waiting for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, some of the, I rarely see um, really exceptional engineers that aren't proactive enough to, and I've, I work with one of the shyest guys in the world. He, he didn't speak to anybody for months, but uh, he has some really good things that he comes up with and, and he'll be in a meeting and somebody will say something and he'll say, is that true? That's not in my experience. Where did that come from? And you'll find things that, that don't exist. I mean, I was, I was talking to a manufacturer earlier 
And they said, oh, all your parts we make sure don't have any scratches on. They make metal parts for us. Mm -hmm. I said, really? Where did that come from? Well, I mean, we've, we've got decorative elements. So we want to make sure that it looks right. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. What part's that? And we, we went in there. I'm like, no, no customers ever see that. And it doesn't change what it, the function of the part. So where has it appeared from? And they kind of assumed but we put our logo into something because it was free. Um, it was. Oh. It didn't add anything to the process, but they'd kind of inferred, ah, oh, it matters what it looks like. And what's happened is over the years and over the kind of grapevine, people have improved the quality standard of this. And that's fantastic, but they've improved the quality standard in something that makes no difference. The look of something that's hidden. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so now you've added processes to something that are that not worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it could be quite difficult going the other way around. So, yeah, and yeah, that's even today, right? I've learned something. I'm like, wow, yes, information on a drawing. And sometimes the information is not positively important, it's negative. It's, it does not need to, I do, don't care what it looks like, it needs to be electrically stable. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. You don't learn about it though until again it happens. It's learned through experience mostly, and you know you can't get experience from nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, doing something and getting it wrong um, is is part and parcel. If you if you beat yourself up for getting things wrong, you're going to really struggle. Uh, yeah, I have a hundred ideas a day, and ninety eight of them are rubbish, mm -hmm. uh, and two of them two of them are good, and we take them forward, and that's it. So. So, uh, first trivia question here is: um, What's the the greatest lesson that you've ever learned? It's yeah, a pretty so this, open this, question. Yeah, this, so this was the most difficult to answer. Um, <laughs> I I can't pick between two of them. Right? Okay, we'll go so, with both of them then. Right, one one of them is very basic. Um, you got one of these and two of these. Sorry, that's one mouth and two ears. Use them <laughs> yep. in that. Use them in that ratio. Genuinely, you will learn more by listening to people than you will by telling people. Um, it's it's so so simple, but it really is true. Um, the the more information you can process, the the more you can hope to turn around. Somebody recently said to me, um, and and I talked about communication before being difficult. Yeah. Um, if I can convey to you ninety percent of an idea, let's mm. let's say I can let's say I'm that good at communicating that you get ninety percent, and then you tell somebody else, and then they tell somebody else. Now we're down at only 70%, right? That's, that's not very much. That, I mean, that's a, a relatively small amount. So, yeah, listening and getting that, that appreciation up and almost assuming if you listen to somebody and they say, I want this, just assume that you don't know what it means. Assume that you've got a big error bar and evaluate lots of possibilities and then present lots of possibilities back and maybe you can get that up a few percent. And, and yeah, particularly if you're working in, and in fact, there's there's almost never an occasion where you can do everything, almost never. Um, if, if you're designing, manufacturing, etching the circuit board, uh, putting the marketing, like genuinely, there's very few people that can do all of that and do it constructively. How many people are involved in, in a supply chain? Like 10 minimum? Yeah, you don't need to lose many percentage points so that a chain of a few individuals can really, really ab abstract the message. So yeah, so that's that's one of the, that's one of them. And the the second one is, I'm always wrong. It's just how wrong I am. 
sometimes it's not wrong enough to matter and it's right enough for today mm, yeah. um, and and wrong is kind of a, a relative a part term. being different isn't it yeah, yeah and, and that's it and, and it's a very emotional kind of negative term and it shouldn't be so i, I mentioned earlier right uh, one of my nicknames is crazy pete um and the reason i've got that is because one of the projects i was working on it needed four isolated power supplies and some isolated control so naturally the engineer stuck down four isolated modules um ntm i505s one watt five volt dct converters the bread and butter stuff right they mm -hmm. put four of them on the board and four i squared c translators and that was it Stick it's easy board. enough i suppose um and and i got to the board and i went well how many of these are we going to make we're going to make thousands of these a year how much is that going to cost us that's going to cost us x thousand pounds um okay how much power do we need we need, oh, and we need i i already knew going into it that we were using milliwatts we weren't using so watts, we were using milliwatts, really. even tens of milliwatts. And it's like, well, hold on. Is this the right way of doing this now? Is there a smaller module? Oh, there's not many smaller modules. They don't exist because it's not worthwhile building the control infrastructure for such a small amount. And then it's like, well, hold on. If the control infrastructure is the expensive thing, how do you share that control infrastructure? Ah, hold on. Now you can have multiple outputs. So if you take a transformer mm -hmm. uh, and you and you apply something on a winding and you get something out the other one, yep. have extra windings. So now I can create one thing to several things. And so I had a multi-winding transformer and I created several isolated outputs. Great, so I only need one control system. Hold on, if the control system's really a really expensive thing, what does the control system actually do? And in a lot of kind of very basic, and I not often say use transformers, transformers are thought of as quite an outdated technology, but in some circumstances they are right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, main step down applications, almost never. Um, I mean, switch mode are, are far more efficient and generally far better, even for efficiency or whatever else. Um, but, but yeah, in this application, it was like, hold on, all that that control system's doing is applying a fixed timing. There's no adjustment, there's no regulation or anything. Hmm. Well, hold on, we've got components on the board. You were talking about the FPGA earlier. We've got an FPGA with a few spare gates and a bunch of clocks in. Right, well, I can generate some timing signals, generate some timing signals, couple of FETs on the output. Right, so now I've taken a system that had four control things that are expensive, way overrated components, and I've got it down to a transformer and a couple of FETs, and I've already got the control components. Yeah. And suddenly this system that was something like 40 quid, that seemed like the obvious system, was now three. And you're like, whoa, hold on, what's the, what's the catch? Right, yeah. and that's it. It seems like there's a catch. It's like, hold on. But it goes right back to those requirements. You go, hold on. What do we need? Why do we need it? What's it for? If it had been for a hundred a year, it wouldn't have made a difference. I'd have been wasting my time. Hmm. But as it was, it was like, hold on. Even in a year, if, if I spend three weeks on this, it pays for itself. If yeah. this product lasts three years, that pays for itself. That pays for itself over and over. And it's like, ah, maybe we should do this. And at that point, people are like, hold on, Pete, that's crazy. And this is where the crazy bit came from. Transformers. When you wire a transform, when you're a, when you're a manufacturer, you've got to kind of put a bobbin on. This and this. Spin, spin, so, spin, spin. Yep. Yeah, and, and generally, manufacturers make transformers that are one, two, three watts. And mm -hmm. that's the kind of lowest common denominator. We didn't need anything like that. And they were looking quite expensive for what we wanted to do in, in this particular application. There were some kind of voltage requirements and things. And I started going, well, hold on, Transformers Transformer. <laughs> I don't, I mean, it, at that point, we'd, we'd saved 
uh, so much on it and we're using so little power that it wouldn't matter if you had a 50% efficient power supply, right? And that sounds crazy, right? A 50% efficient power supply, that's a crazy. Waste. Here you go. Right, here's crazy peak. But if you're using 10 milliwatts, that's 5 milliwatts. Like, you can't light an LED with 5 milliwatts, but you can, but not really bright necessarily. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I started looking at transformers and like, hold on, if I only need a few milliwatts, I don't need as much copper. If I don't need as much copper, it must be cheaper. How do we do this? So you start looking at other things. So you can do things like planar transformers. So you can use a PCB. Genuinely, you can take a two-layer PCB or a multi-layer PCB, put a coil on top of it, that's an inductor. Mm-hmm. Put a coil underneath it, that's an inductor. Couple them somehow, and now magnetic fields, magnetic fields, and there you go. Transformer. Um, so there's a transformer. Why shouldn't you be able to do that? Now, I mean, we didn't actually end up with that solution. You need to be much higher frequency and have a bit more board area for what we wanted to do. Um, but actually, what we ended up using was communication transformers. So um, uh, Ethernet, back in the days before Wi-Fi, no, Ethernet was yeah, very popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a, and, and all of those um, pairs of signals, so in Cat5, you've got four pairs. Um, mm. And they go through four communication transformers. It's four differential pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're terminated at maybe 90 ohms or something. They're communicating some power. Although you think it's a logic signal, it's conveying power across this thing. I suppose it's um, all line still, isn't it? Bingo. So it's like, hold on, we want a few milliwatts. They convey a few milliwatts. They're made in their billions. Ah, hold on. This is it. So we actually have um, a comms transformer as a power transformer in one of the devices we sell lots of. And, and that's the thing. It was like, what do we need? Here it is. And of course, if there are thousands of vendors of Ethernet jacks that have four sets of identical magnetics in them. So there you go. Four isolated power supplies with no control system or a free control system. And that's crazy. That's cool. And, and I'll tell you what, when you show that to somebody, when you say, look, here's a solution. And when you're comfortable with a solution, and I was comfortable, putting down modules was easy. We knew it worked. We knew we didn't need to think about it. We could move on to the next thing. But going back to it and saying, guys, I can do this with 10%. That seems unbelievable. An order of magnitude, that can't be true. And that's the that's the kind of first thing that people go is. You qualify everything, don't you? Yeah, it's like if I said to you, I'm I'm nine foot tall, you go, really? No, hold on. <laughs> no man in the universe has ever been that high. Maybe there's a bit of something's there. wrong. And, yeah. and the same is true. You set yourself in a way, you, you you think in the norm bit, and then when somebody comes up with something different, you really need to go back. So there you go. So yeah, crazy Pete, it's an accolade. <laughs> thinking outside the box that's all it really is <laughs> absolutely absolutely no definitely didn't expect that to be that um okay what's the top worst three things that you've seen in an interview or heard about from an interview okay definitely answering a phone um i've you seen I was that? yeah i was interviewing the candidate and his phone went off and he answered it and don't be wrong there are situations in which that would be acceptable um that was almost certainly not acceptable. Uh, so, yeah. And and to be fair, some things are about the way you handle them, right? And I, I, I mean, I have vague memories of it, and I think he kind of put his hand up, answered his phone, and I'll call you back on an interview. And it's like, whoa, hold on, hold on. I mean, that's that that's not cool. And Even yeah, it's the body people, language. Yeah, p- people have urgent stuff to go on, but generally that's not a good way to start a relationship. So there are some people that go to an interview, and it de- and I guarantee it's the wrong way to do things. Hmm. Do not try to tell somebody something that they want to hear. 
Um, if you don't feel it, don't say it. Um, if you've written on your CV, I like doing this, and then you talk to somebody and you think that they don't think that they'd like you, don't change your mind. Be you. If yeah. you're happy with that, be you. Be happy with that. Um, it's okay to be different. Um, I have a lot of friends and stuff that use Raspberry Pis, and I will just throw it out there. Raspberry Pi is an incredible prototyping platform, and there's lots of them, and it's done incredible amounts for our industry to mm -hmm. getting people into using electronics. I don't like them. There you go. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, because uh, um, this is it. For me, that is a prototyping medium. It's not a release medium. And the first few things I've seen of it are things that were released with it. And there are better things now. Don't get me wrong. There's, um, they make like a compute module that's specifically designed to be bundled into releases. Yep. And that's awesome. That's brilliant. That means that there is technology available to people that can use it to do things. Um, and in general, building a prototype with them, great. If they're shoehorning a product in, was that the right thing to do? And this comes down to the, the volume thing, right? If you're making one thing... It doesn't matter what it is. Fine, whatever you like. If you're making a million things, um, and there's a few things out there that, that have genuinely, like one of the original Raspberry Pi things in them, they're shoehorned in. Um, there's kind of a responsibility to the planet there, isn't there? So if you're burning 10 watts in an operating system to flash an LED or something very basic, yeah, really you should have done something about that, shouldn't you? And, and perhaps that's a bit of kind of personal in there as well. As far as I'm concerned, we're all responsible for the planet. And one thing that's very important to me, and Pico actually, right, is, mm -hmm. is, the, is our green credentials. And a lot of the kind of things that we make, right, that is a fraction of the power of an equivalent bedtop scope. Um, I was doing some sums earlier this week, actually. So that against the competitor mm -hmm. uses something like 15 grams less CO2 per hour. So every wow, okay. hour you that's, use that, that's 15 grams yeah. less that we're, that we're producing. And that's based on some averages. And don't be wrong, the electricity generation is going down and going down. But that's huge. Actually, over the lifetime of the product, that can be quite big. And um, I got quite a criticism uh, to me, but one of my friends a few years ago um, that um, works in a different industry, uh, and he said, you're designing electronics, you're the problem, you're putting more electronics out there. I said, well, hold on, this is about being responsible, and about mm -hmm. making sure that what you're putting out there is right. And yeah, I mean, I talked about making a, a very inefficient power supply earlier. It wasn't quite as low as 50, it was about 60 something from memory. but. But even then, it's what's the right thing. And actually, by putting in a, an inefficient thing there, we saved a huge amount of manufacturing cost of weight of stuff. Um, just having a big iron core of 20 or 30 grams, shipping it round and having those iron losses isn't free. So mm. yeah, and that, seemed, that was the best balance. And there's a responsibility. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of taken on some of those things. So there you go. Raspberry Pi for me is great prototyping, fantastic. Yep. When it moves to production stuff, maybe not so great. And in general, operating systems, fantastic, right? Really easy to work with. Um, not very efficient generally. Uh, and and that's, that's something that just gets me. And I like making things that are uh, sustainable and, and are actually doing their bit. Um, so, so yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's a responsibility to all of us, isn't it, to look after the place we live in and to, and to justify it. So there you go. So it's not, and, and lots of people just say, oh, Pete hates them. Um, it's not that I hate them. 
they're great at a very specific job, and it's when they kind of start. You like the blanket use of them. <laughs> yeah, and I don't be wrong. Things can be more successful than you expect them to be. A lot of Kickstarters and things out there, massively more successful than they think they are. If you're mm. going to sell five, maybe that was the right platform at the point you go there, but then you promise you're going to do something. That's the only way you can do it. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, so, yeah, and it's difficult, right? And it's never clear-cut, ever. I've never seen, uh, like, a totally clear-cut decision. Oh, there's no argument. This is definitely better than this. Um, but there you go. So that's my... Yeah, that's one of my things. Sorry, we've moved from interviews to Raspberry Pis, and I'm not really sure how. Yeah, I was trying to think what the jump was. <laughs> um, yeah, I have no idea. Um, yeah, can I talk about some positive things with interviews? Yep, yep. Fire a couple of things in there. Okay, so um, yeah, I like to be positive about things because I mean, like we said before, you can fix problems, but if you've got something that works, you should keep doing it. Um, and there's been a few interviews that I've been in where I've been kind of blown away by things and um one's very simple uh and it happened to me uh, only about 18 months ago right i think it's actually our, our youngest employee at the moment um and we were in the interview and we said we asked a question and he didn't know how to answer the question and he mm-hmm. said i know this and i know this and i think they're relevant but i don't know the answer to your question and that isn't a sign of weakness it's a really positive sign. If I want to, if we want to employ somebody that's going to do something and they don't know how to do it, do I want to employ somebody that's going to fuck their way through and think they can do it? Or am I going to employ somebody that goes, I don't know how to do it. I need to do some extra research or I need to ask somebody. Yeah, yeah. Just absolutely floored me. And I think, I mean, this goes back to the not trying to give an answer that you think somebody else wants you to give. Mm. If you are totally honest with yourself and you're totally honest with them, then, no one loses. Yeah, nobody loses. And not every company is right for every person. They're, some people are just incompatible. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. It, mm. And there's a lot of pressure, perhaps, particularly as people are coming out of university and kind of getting their first jobs of just get that one on the, on the slate, get a job. And it's not get a job. It's get the right job. And it's very hard to get that right job. And I, I get it, right? It's it's hard. And there's always going to be a compromise. It's going to be as good as we can do. But if you're not happy with, with what you're doing, talk about it. And, and you can guarantee that a company that employs you doesn't want you to be unhappy. And they, they want you to be productive. And it's it's unusual, but I have seen it, where you, you've seen people have reviews and, and reviews with their manager but they said, hmm. actually, this isn't working. Maybe the best thing to do is to move on. And that's totally okay to admit. It's, it's, it's unusual. It's rare. But why shouldn't it be okay to talk about that? Why shouldn't it be okay? You don't want to force um, yourself to fit into a job that just, just isn't for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm very lucky. I enjoy what I do. Um, most days I hop out of bed and I'm in work and I love it. Not everything is rosy. And this is this is something that, is part of every job you will do something at some stage that you don't like doing yeah and you have to take the rough with the smooth and you will get into into cycles of not getting on with people or um not figuring out how to do something or doing the same thing over and over and not really understanding how to kind of get off the treadmill and and move it on um but the more you put in the more you'll get out if you if you kind of i've got to do this again got to do this again you'll end up doing it all the time. If you go, 
okay, I don't like this. How do I fix this? Um, you're much more likely to be able to get out of it or to figure it out. How does somebody know? Uh, if I mean, and generally, most guys that are coming straight out of uni will be employed underneath a manager of some nature. Mm-hmm. Um, use those people, right? So, and there seems this was a misconception I had when I started work. I thought a manager told me what to do, and that's almost never true. A manager is there for me not necessarily the other way around yes he might give me some instruction he might give me some target but actually if i've got a problem i take it to him if if i need something fixed and i don't know how to do it he is my sounding board um as well as other people around and sometimes the answer is no right sometimes the i want this thing i want this piece of equipment or whatever um i don't actually i don't think i've ever had no um but but yeah okay occasionally it will be no right and mm. people have to appreciate that that's the yeah that's the way it's going to fall sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles um but yeah that that manager is there for you and to some extent they're there to make sure that they're not needed the most effective managers are those that are not required that means they're doing their job you haven't got the impediments so you can get on with what you need to do yeah um, you're not slaving for them you're doing your job and they're there to just make sure everything's fine it's going along and absolutely so yeah the, the, your your filters um things may filter down to you through them for your targets or what you're next to do or or what we want to achieve as a company hmm. but they're there to help you do that so yeah it's yeah use you managers effectively and and there's and, and this this was a massive misconception of mine is that you work for something you do exactly what they tell you nah no, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not the way. If, if, if it's going to be like that, you're going to be very unhappy. I'm not almost, from school. Uh, yeah, I'm almost certain of it. And there is a place for it. Occasionally, my manager will say, you need to do this and you need to get this done today. Mm. Um, but very, very rare. <laughs> very rare. Um, thank you. I suppose if you flip it as well, though, they're asking you to do something today so that you don't screw up later down in the week because you've missed something come back to get you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, any time that my manager put pressure on me to get something done, it's never been something that's news to me. It's always something that I've been looking at. And, yeah, perhaps we shouldn't broadcast that to my manager, but well, maybe that's healthy. Maybe that's healthy. That's honest. It's honest, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and actually it goes back to this interview thing, like, if at any point you're, you're lying to yourself, that's the worst thing you can do, right? You can't keep lie with yourself. Um, and I'm very lucky with my manager. I have a very open relationship with him. Uh, sorry. That sounds right. dodgy. <laughs> That's not quite the right thing. Um, I've got a very honest relationship with him. So yeah. I, I can genuinely say to him, I don't like this, or I have a problem with this, and know that he's not going to think badly of me. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay. It happens. Um, it's okay to be grumpy occasionally because you've had bad sleep. Like it just happens. Um, it's about how you manage that. And yeah, that once in my career, I know I've gone and spoken to my manager and said, "I don't know how to deal with this," and he said, "Go home." And that was his instruction. He just said, "Go home for the day. You're not going to be constructive today. Go home." You're going to sit there and aggravate everyone. Absolutely, it'll be better in the morning. And I tell you what one of the best calls he's made and and i hadn't expected it right and that's the thing you you're so focused on fixing problems 
that you're doing your best to fix it. And some, they're there to help manage you. And that was the most effective way of managing me in that situation. It was to mm. say, you're too stressed to think about this. Go away. Do something different. Um, yeah, so, Absolutely. Yeah, really inspiration to me, my manager. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> so is there another positive interview that you can think of just off the top of your head? Or it's okay if uh, not just... No, I think it's all about being yourself. It, I mean, that's that's it. That's the fundamental um, thing is being totally honest and presenting you. I'm not interested in employing numbers. Uh, lots of people have got numbers of lots of different levels and lots of people fight to get the best degree. And you should fight to get the best degree for you. Absolutely, yeah. right? You should be proud of your achievement and you should get the grade that you deserve to get by the work that you're putting in. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. To me... If you can't apply that, then you're not a design engineer. Um, If you are not interested in what you're doing, then it's unlikely that you're going to be, that you're going to advance significantly. It's it's a really tricky one, Um, but most of an interview, I will spend talking to people about what they do, not about what their grades are or what they studied. I'm going to assume that if you're capable of taking in information and processing it and passing an exam, you're capable of taking any information, processing it, and making it something useful. So, yeah, and it's more about those examples of things. So, yeah, you've got a 3D printer behind you. Bring in a 3D printed thing. If you've made some PCBs, bring some PCBs with you. We are physical people, right? Every PCB I've ever got hold of at any design point, right, you get and you kind of hold up to your face like this and you look around it and you go, oh, my God, that's amazing, um, just before it's got components on. Anybody that doesn't do that is obviously not into that. They're, it's not their thing. They're not doing, absolutely. So, so yeah. And if you're proud of what you've done, bring it in. Actually, that's a good tip. If you're coming to an interview, no, I mean seriously, if you're coming to an interview and you're infusing electronics and you've built stuff yourself, bring it in. Bring it in, even if you're not proud of it. Bring it in if it didn't work. Tell us why it didn't work. I rarely finish projects that I start because I start them meaning to learn something. Once I've learned that thing, it's not fun to me anymore. And and lots of people think that finishing a project is the most successful thing, and that's what turns some people on. To me, it's not. It's about setting a target of knowing something, how to do something, designing a PIV controller in in, in firmware, right? That was one of my goals. Hmm. And after I learned to do that, the projects I was doing was like, oh. Doesn't matter now. It's just turning the circles now. What's the next thing I can do? Go and move it to the next. So, yeah, lots yeah. of failed, lots of failed projects, but they're only failed to other people. To me, they were successful because I learned stuff. Exactly. And I suppose as well, if you, if you're applying for a job, you think yourself that you're suitable for that job. Like they always release a list of qualifications you need and things. And even if you don't meet them, if you've applied for the job, chances are that you think you're capable of all those things. You don't apply for a job that you're not capable. Well, you could do, but I've never met anyone that ever that's ever applied for a job that they just, you know, you don't apply for a job that says you need a physics degree and know nothing about physics, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You think and, you're. And, I mean, this is the thing as well. The whole thing about having interviews. If we were interested in numbers and just processing numbers, there wouldn't hmm. be a need for an interview, would there? No, it'd just be a table we'd just form. We just employ from a spreadsheet. Um, but we don't do that. Every, ubiquitously, interviews are had, so it's not about grade you've got it's about you mm. so come in as you 
be shy, that's okay. If you're shy, be shy. If you're extroverted, be extroverted. It's totally cool. Um, if you're different on your interview to when you're employed, that's going to upset some people, isn't it? That means you're not going to fit. <laughs> so oh, exactly. Yeah. Right enough. Um, so third question is: What is your favourite um, component out of resistors, inductors, or capacitors? It's inductors. There is no question. It's inductors. Inductors are magic. Or more, I'm going to qualify that. Magnetism is magic. Everybody should agree that they play with magnets and they're just like crazy, right? Okay, yeah. that is a component that stores energy as magnetism. Right, how, how much cooler can you get? That's it, that, that's just it. And they are magic, they're just weird. You apply a voltage to it and it sets up a voltage in return. No way, no, how does it, <laughs> how does it even do that, right? I, I'm sure I understand the physics, I've gone through the sigma.dl and stuff and I'm like, it's still, still cool. crazy, it's still crazy to me. Um, so yeah, inductance by, by a very long way. Um, but the other two are equally important. So. Yeah, you need all three of them. It's just which one's the best one. So, yeah, inductors for me every time. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> um, and what's the biggest screw-up that you've ever made on a project? One that you're happy enough to admit, but what's the biggest mess-up? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we make USB devices, and mm -hmm. there's um, USB specs to follow, and uh, somebody made a joke one day at work. They said, uh, oh, what's going to happen if you draw too much current? The USB police can come after you. Um, and uh, I went home that weekend and I was playing with one of my nephews and they had like this bubble wand thing that was like a sword um, and they used all the bubble liquid in it. And I'm like, hmm, that's a bit like a truncheon. Policeman would use a truncheon. I know, I'll make a USB truncheon. So um, in a day, I grabbed a, a servo, stuck a microcontroller in it, programmed it to kind of waggle up and down a little bit uh, and then join the whole thing together and spray paint it black, right? And now I had a truncheon with a USB cable coming out of it. You plug in the USB and it went to bop you on the head, right? Because that's right. it. Because I'm, I'm silly, right? And a lot of engineers are silly, let's be honest about it. And I took yeah. it to the office and this was the USB truncheon, right? So um, a few years later, Type-C. Type-C hits the scene like five years ago. Um, and I'm very into Type-C. It's It's... You can get a lot from it. It's not been adopted quite as widely as it should be, and there's a few issues that perhaps to the consumer haven't been thought out well. But magic, right? So we bought our first laptop with Type C, mm -hmm. and just for just for giggles, I plugged in the USB truncheon, which doesn't obey many of the USB specs. Um, so I plugged it in, and it went clunk clunk, and then the screen went black on the laptop. Um, so uh, so yeah, so we switched on a laptop and genuinely within 10 minutes it was dead uh, and that's because I made something in a hurry the USB truncheon a few years earlier I mean that's mm -hmm. the thing it's sitting on my desk it was a joke piece um, and uh, yeah a big uh, a big gearbox DC motor that you send one way as fast as it can go and then you tell it to go the other way and it tries to pull up this huge moving mass has a huge amount of back EMF so and there was no capacitance on it. I didn't think to put a no diode across it. Nothing I didn't think, there's no diode across it, right? And <laughs> that killed it. So literally, there was two oscillations. Dunk, and then it stopped. Black screen, laptop dead. So there we are. So I killed the laptop. Um, the thing is, we're in engineering. There's always screws up. The magic smoke occasionally appears. 
you never mean for it to happen, but you will do it. You will throw something or bang a bit of metal or catch something or design something wrong. Um, I've seen people plug in boards and they go. Yeah, that's just one of those things. Um, so yeah, yeah, like swapped I squared C lines and stuff. No matter how much you get people to review things, positive reinforcement's a real thing. They'll see mm. something because you said it's that. If you say it's an I squared C interface and you switch it over, they'll see an I squared C interface even though it's blatantly wrong. Yeah. Um, one thing that was really quite funny on um, actually a product we've just released literally a couple of days ago. Hmm. Um, one of the prototypes for it was about three or four years ago. It's quite a long lived project. Um, had an IO expander on. So you've got I squared C in, about 40 IO out. Uh, and they make this IO expander in about four different packages. And they're all got 40 pins. Uh, and this magic was reviewed over and over again. And we got the thing in and it didn't work. And nobody could figure it out. We couldn't figure it out to start with. And then somebody spotted it. There's two 40 pin IO expanders. One's a quad pack, and right. one's a dual pack, a DFN, um, and we've copied the pin out numbering of the other one onto the QFN. Um, now, that means that we've got a board that genuinely just cannot do anything, and it inspired the best board I've ever seen. So we took this QFN off, um, and uh, we soldered on, you know, like these little FPC cables, like the, the kind of flat cables that they oh yeah the flat ribbon yeah so we bodged because it's a quad pack we bodged four of these sockets onto the board got four fpcs and made a little bod board on the top that had the dfn on and four sockets to the right pin out and it sat above it so on top of this really expensive board i mean it must have been two or three thousand pounds of pcb here hmm. um maybe even more actually there's quite some exotic stuff on it and on top of it there's two io expanders one in each back corner and two kind of balloon shapes with quad boards on the top. One of the best bodies I've ever seen. Just incredible. But it just goes to show, right, no matter how much reviewing and checking and, um, and seeing, mistakes happen. So yeah, yeah when, you, when you talk about prototypes, but that's got to be one of the, one of the best ones. Uh, and the best rescues as well, and certainly one of the most rescues well, they'll never, ever, ever make that mistake again. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was there was quite a lot, and and that's the thing, mistakes happen, and it's funny. Uh, don't get me wrong, the first reaction when you see that engineer debugging that board and they've got the data sheet up, the face falls. Right, people are doing their work and they just sit. I it was Lee that was doing it, and I just I was aware of him over the way, and he just went. Oh, it's amazing, right? This, this kind of let out of breath. Um, and the first reaction of everybody, of every person, right, is to giggle. You can't not giggle. And he's there feeling terrible about this. It's like the end of the world. And we're giggling away. But to be fair, as a team, we got together. Two or three people got together. And the next day, the board's fine. It's fixed. Yeah. So, and, and that's it. And it's not fixed. It's, it's bodged. But it's such a cool bod. It was so fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, and we should celebrate these these muck ups, these mess ups, um, because we do make them. We just do make them. So so be proud of it. I mean, I I bought a sports car when I was really early at Pico because I was like, oh, I can get a loan now to a job, <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, I crashed it 13 days later. So yeah, and I've never lived that down. Um, <laughs> but, but, 
There we are. So yeah, you're still we're learning, though. <laughs> well, at least now I've got a better car. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, I bought myself a Tesla a couple of years ago. The Model Three when it first came out. Oh, so, nice. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, my dream car. I've I've been I've been wanting a Tesla for nine years before that. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was. Yeah, that was quite a lot of single-minded. I will have this. I will have this. And even like telling people when I first ordered them, like. <laughs> You'll never get it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Absolute single mindedness of I will do this thing. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's cool. I promised myself I wouldn't mention this to you actually. But it the thing is, people have their people have their quirks and people have their, their things that they like. Yeah. And to me, it's EVs. Right? It just they fascinate me. They are incredible. And just some of the numbers that fly around and in fact working in the automotive market, so I said one of the scopes that we do field scopes we do all based um a, just a car starting its engine um you've got a 12 volt battery you turn your key the peak of current there is probably in the order of a thousand amps a thousand amps right and That's then you think about losses, and then you think about losses in the cable right so a typical cable even a really fat cable of this kind of length a few milliohms mm-hmm. i squared r on a few milliohms at a thousand amps what's your loss it's huge it's like thousands of watts in this cable and it's like wow and evs just take that to a whole new level so i stick my foot down and there's a thousand amps but it's not now a thousand amps for a fraction of a second it's on the whole it's for maybe six or seven seconds while well actually no uh yes 3.7 seconds before it's illegal so yes that's the total amount of a oh no, yeah. I suppose you can ride the brake. No, you can ride ride the brake. That's okay. Um, Let's jack it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did go on a track day with it. Actually, that was that was brutal. It was awesome. Really incredible. Nice. And that's the thing. Like traction control is so antiquated on a lot of cars because they use the brakes. They use the brakes to lose energy. Hmm. With motors, um, particularly with something that's got such an incredibly um, low gearing. You might have, I don't know, 54 opportunities in each revolution on my car to decide whether you're going to apply torque or reduce torque. That is huge. So, yeah, and, and it's all about static friction, right? So you want to keep your wheel turning at the same speed as the road. As soon as your wheel goes faster, you want to slow it down. As soon as you go slower, you want to speed it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. The more opportunity you've got to do that. That's more control, isn't it, as opposed to just mechanical control. Not yeah. just, just mechanical control, but... There you go. So, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, there we are. And I did all that, and I didn't talk about 3D printing at all. Oh, no, I did. <laughs> you mentioned <Okay>. it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 well, there you go. This is probably why Michael asked me, because there's lots... And this is the thing, right? This is partly why I'm not a... I'm an FPGA engineer, and this is all I do. I am interested in the whole, the whole kind of package of it. And that's part of being a senior engineer, is having mm. an appreciation. And even an appreciation that you don't know what it is. So, yeah, if you know that you don't know, it means that you can inquire and work out and use other people's experience to, to get the right balance or to, or to be on a heuristic level. Yeah. And that's difficult to do. It's, it's really difficult to know that you can do something better and limit it because it's not the right thing to work on. It's a really skill, really. though. It, it is a skill, yeah, and, and nobody has it. It, everybody gets into a rabbit warren at some stage because they get excited by something they get down the rabbit hole and they keep going keep going keep going 
and it's cool and it's those kind of things the things that are exciting you if you can do that every day legitimately you you're would in, you're in heaven right you're in heaven so. well thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast okay well it's lovely to see you James uh, oh, nice to meet you too and, uh, stay safe you too All right. see you soon bye bye